Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Good morning. I want to give you a quick update on a couple things. One is um, we have been studying the life of David, and we took a little break from that, and we're going to continue to take a little break. We're going to go back and do 2 Samuel in the fall, but we're going to jump into a new series today uh, called Day by Day, Joy with Jesus, and really want to focus just on what does it mean for us to walk with Jesus on a daily basis, to be kind of dependent upon him day in and day out. In fact, we want to go through... a kind of a devotional thing together. And so we've got a book we're going to ask you to purchase. And if you can't afford that, we want to be able to make one available for you. But we want to invite you into this. And here's why I want to do this. I think so much in our life and in our world feels uncertain right now. It feels like, we, you know, I keep saying with our team, like I, I'm ready for like the new normal to hit, but I'm not sure that it's ever going to hit. And so everything just feels so up in the air. We just thought it would be a really good idea for us to get on the same page, maybe all do something together. Uh, sometimes I like to have a project that feels like I start something and I can finish it in a short amount of time and I accomplish something. And, and to do that together with some other people, to have some accountability, some encouragement, some connection in that process, we just thought would be a really healthy thing. And so uh, we've got this book, uh, Day by Day, which is a 40-day journal uh, that we're going to walk through together. And so just encourage you to grab that. And in a couple weeks, we're going to start that. We'll be telling you more information, so don't feel like you've got to start tomorrow or anything. We'll start it all together here in just a couple weeks, and we're going to create some other tools and stuff to encourage you along the way with that as we jump into this series day by day and really talk about what does it mean to walk with joy even in a season like the one that we're in. So let me pray for us, and we'll dive into the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would convince us that you want good for us. Father, in the midst of a world that feels like everything's come undone, would you convince us that we are united to Christ, that we are connected to him, that there is life that we can draw from him that sustains us, that nourishes us, that gives us a fruitful and full and joyful life. And Father, might we learn, even in this time, maybe even especially in this time, what it is to trust him to draw on the resources of Christ to carry us day by day. Father, would you make us a people of great joy because of Jesus? Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn to me to John 15 or your device, or wherever it is you want to look that up. We're going to be looking at John 15 and really kind of doing a deep dive in this chapter over the next several weeks. And we'll hit some other spaces and other things as well. But we're going to be looking at, uh, at this, kind of coming back to it several weeks in a row and just seeing if we can pull everything we possibly can out of these verses and this teaching of Jesus. And so as we dive in there, um, that's kind of where we're going to be in John 15. Uh, I read a story not long ago about a conference at a church in, uh, in, in another state. And at this church, they were trying this experiment, and they really were trying to help our, the people understand the joy that they had in Christ. And so they gave everyone a helium-filled balloon. It was a bright-colored balloon in, in the middle of their worship service. They said, just hold on to this balloon, and you hold on to it through the service. And at that moment where you, where you just want to express the joy that's in your heart, you just let that balloon go. 
and we're all going to be able to celebrate this together, and we're going to see these balloons just fly up as everyone's joy just overflows in this colorful, fun, balloon, festive thing. And the problem was they got to the end of the service, and almost half the people still had their balloon, which was a little bit of a problem, right? Uh, do you know churches like that? Churches that are, are supposed to be joyful, but the people don't have enough joy in their hearts that they're just holding on to their balloons because they're not sure how to let it go. And let me just, I, I want to be a church that we let the balloons go. Like I want to be a church that the joy comes out. I want to be a church that's got something real enough on the inside that it's got to be expressed on the outside and it overflows into a, kind of a, a joyful presence within our, within our midst. Now, in this COVID season, I think all of us are experiencing kind of this collective depression or collective grief cycle, collective anxiety. And in that, it's kind of, it feels a little bit like the helium has been out of our balloons, right? It, which would be okay if we'd all inhale the helium and use the funny helium voice to say something fun, but we didn't even do that. We skipped that. And so we're just kind of like deflated balloons walking around in our world. And I just know in this time, man, wouldn't it be a great thing for us to shine like a light in our city? as a place that is a lighthouse of joy in the middle of dark times, a place where people can come and experience light. And so as we kind of jump into the series, over the next few weeks, we're going to give you some practices for how it is that you can kind of foster joy from Christ in your own life. And we're going to talk about inflow, and then we're going to talk about outflow, and we're going to talk about those things. But today, what I realize is, if you haven't bought the basic premise of what Jesus has taught us about where joy comes from, then any of the practices we teach you are, are gonna fall on deaf ears. Any of the, the practices we teach you are not gonna produce anything fruitful in your life if you haven't bought into the basic premise of, of life in Christ and what it looks like. And in, in verse 11 of John 15, we kind of get this theme that shows up and it says, these things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full to overflowing. So Christ is talking, and this is Christ teaching, and he says, I write these things. So everything he writes before that, he's written for the purpose that you might know his joy and that his joy might overflow in you or, or fill you up. And so it's, it's calling us to pay close attention to the stuff that comes before that, right? Like if you want to know how to experience joy, Jesus says, pay attention to all the stuff I just told you. And so he's going to point us in that direction. And here's what I know about my life and what I think is probably true of your life. If, if you're going to live a life of consistent joy, you're going to need something that's less fickle than your emotions and more stable than your circumstances. That if you're going to have any kind of consistent joy, it's going to have to be something that's less fickle than my feelings and more stable than the circumstances that come and go day in and day out. And so if we're going to learn to walk by joy and have the full fullness of joy that Christ offers, we're going to have to learn to draw from the real life of Christ. So let's take a minute and just read through these verses, starting verse 1. So John 15, starting verse 1. Jesus is, is speaking, and he says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear even more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, 
and my words abide in you. Ask whatever it is you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. It's Christ speaking to us. This actually comes from uh, what we call the farewell discourse, which means in, in, John, in John's writing and in his gospel, it's a, it's a section of the scripture that is kind of, as Jesus is about to depart, as he's about to go to the cross and then leave the disciples, they writes this kind of discourse, this teaching, this farewell teaching that's the last stuff he has to say. Now, if you're going to go away on something and you've got people you dearly love, you're likely going to communicate something that you think is very important to them, right? And so if you're going to take time to do that, you're going to communicate the stuff that you think is very critical for them to know if they're going to, to lead well on this earth. And so Jesus, in this passage, he's going to talk through three different relationships. He talks about our relationship with the Lord, he talks about our relationship with one another, and he talks about our relationship to the world. Now, if you think about relationships, what is it that gets you in trouble relationally? Well, oftentimes, it's, it's misplaced expectations. I mean, well, some of you are looking at me like, man, I got a long list of stuff that gets me in trouble relationally, right? Like there's all kinds of stuff that gets us in trouble. But one of the things that always gets us in trouble is if we have wrong expectations for what that relationship looks like. And so Jesus is going to talk to us about these relationships and, and just the way in which we exist together um, in, in this world. Now in verse one, he says, he uses this simple phrase. He says, I am, I am a vine, I am the, or I am the true vine. And what we're going to see in this passage is that Jesus uses this kind of word picture or metaphor or illustration to depict what these relationships look like. And so in doing so, he's really following uh, if you, kind of his pattern in the book of John. He goes through this pattern of these I am statements where Jesus says, I am, and then he gives you kind of a picture of, of something to describe who he is. And this is the last of the I am statements in John. And uh, if you think back to the book of John, if you go through and read it, you'd see that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gateway. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he gets to the seventh one. He says, I am the true vine. And so he's spelling out these truths for us. And he takes this truth of him being the true vine and works it out as a metaphor. And he says, I'm the vine, but my, and my father is the vine dresser. And so in that, he's going to give us kind of this relationship. Now, why is this imagery uh, why, why is Jesus using this imagery? Well, if you know the Old Testament, if you go back and study the Old Testament, the vineyard is oftentimes a representative of Israel. And so as you think about that, Hosea 10 says, Israel is a luxuriant vine. And so many times that, that the, the Israel is looked at as the Old Testament people of God, and in that, the, they're depicted as a vineyard or as a vine. And so Israel, Hosea says, is a luxuriant vine. Psalm 80 speaks of this, and says, restore to us, O God of hosts, let your face shine on us that we may be saved. You removed or drew out a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. O God of hosts, turn now, we beseech you, look down from heaven and see and take good care of this vine. So Israel is this, vin, this, this kind of picture of a vine in the Old Testament. And what's going to happen here, Jesus, when he says, I am the true vine, he's saying, look, I am superseding Israel. I'm going beyond Israel. I'm going to be the place where God truly, lie, truly, truly cares for his people. And so the, the vine for many 
in this time, if, if the hearers of Jesus would have heard this, they would have heard this as the vine, they would have thought of the vine as representing Israel. In fact, if you look in the temple in that time, there would be a, excuse me, in the temple at that time, there was a golden vine ornament with clusters as tall as a person. And so they would go in and they'd see this huge vine in the temple when they would go to worship. When they revolted against, uh, when, they, when they revolted and printed their own coins, they actually printed a vine on those coins because this was just a common understanding in Israel of the day of this is what our faith, rep- or what is represented of our people. Now, as God's chosen people, Israel is, is in a sense being set aside because they were unable to fulfill everything that God had called them to do. They, were, they weren't strong enough to produce long-lasting fruit that needed to be produced, and so Jesus came. And in Jesus, Jesus supersedes Israel and becomes the true vine that can truly give them life and, and salvation. So what Jesus is saying is, if you want to be connected to God, you must be connected to me, which is a pretty bold statement, right? And Jesus says, I am. He's saying, I am the one sent by God to sustain you, to nourish you, to bring you salvation, to give you life, to bring you joy. Everything is wrapped up in me. And so everything Jesus says in the verses that follow, tell us what that connection to him looks like if we're going to be genuinely attached to him and attached to the vine. And so verse 2 speaks really to the order of the universe. In verse 2, it speaks to the vine dresser. It says, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, the vine dresser takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. What he's saying is there's order to the universe. There's order to the way in which these things work. God the Father is the vine dresser. He's the one that has sovereign care of the whole vineyard. He's the one that oversees it all. He's the one that, that makes sure that things are being produced in a healthy way. Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the mediator. I'm the one that, that mediates life to you and gives you life and nourishes you. And we are the branches. We're the little tendrils that come off from the vine that produce fruit. And so our job is to, to stay on the vine, to draw sustenance from the vine, and then to produce something good. And so there's this order to the way things work with the vine dresser caring for the whole, the vine mediating to us and sustaining us and giving us life, and then us producing fruit for the vine and for the vine dresser. And so we are very much a part of the vineyard. Now you notice the vine dresser, who's the father, has two different tasks. One, he has a task of taking that which is dead wood, and cutting it off and casting it aside. Now, what's a, what's a dead piece of vine useful for? I mean, maybe some of you ladies could do something or some of you guys that are crafty could do something cool with it in terms of some kind of artistic endeavor, but it's not good for building anything. It's not good for anything. Really, it's just good for fuel. Like, let's just put it aside and burn it because it's useless, it's worthless. And so a, a part of a vine that's fallen apart or that's fallen, apart, fallen off is really of no value whatsoever. And so Part of the vine dresser's job is to take the dead wood, get it out of the way so that it can produce, so that the vine can produce something healthy. And then the other part that the vine dresser does, Jesus says, is comes along to the little tendrils that are beginning to crack or or, or produce and it it clips them back and clips them back and clips them back so that the vine can nourish the really healthy stuff so that it can become even more fruitful. And so the vine dresser's got a unique role in terms of what he's supposed to do. Now we're going to talk more about this in later weeks, but we're the branches. And as the branches, our job is, we really have three responsibilities. We're to stay connected to the vine. We're to receive nourishment from the vine. And then we're to produce something good. We're, we're to produce fruit. And in fact, the vine dresser really desires fruit. You see this progression. In verse 2, it says fruit. And in verse 2, a little bit later, he says that he trims them back so it'll produce more fruit. Then you get a little later in the chapter, and it says he's going to produce much fruit. So this is kind of progression from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. He wants us, obviously, to be very fruitful 
uh, people. And fruitfulness really is, becomes, as we look at this passage, a mark of true Christianity. That as we're fruitful, we're testifying that we're truly attached to Jesus. If we're connected to him, he's going to produce fruit in our life. And that's really the meaning of the passage. So here's, here's the image. Are you, are you catching the kind of the picture of what Jesus wants us to understand? That, there, the, that our faith is a living faith. It's this thing that's organically connected to the life of Christ, that we draw from the life of Christ. It's, it's alive, it's active, it's very much moment by moment dependent upon our connection to Jesus in order to produce the life of Jesus in us. And so there's this day by day sort of a thing that Jesus is talking about. Now, part of what he says here is that no branch is a life, has a, is a, is a life unto itself, but we're all dependent upon him, we're connected to him. Now, the point is this, if, if we're connected to Jesus, both the Father and the Son are going to work in us to make sure we produce good fruit. They're both working for us to make sure that we produce something good. At verse 3, as you look at verse 3, seems a little bit out of context. All of a sudden, he talks about already you are clean because the word I've spoken to you. He's talking to his disciples, to the 12. And here he's saying really to the 11 because there's one of them, Judas, who's not clean. But Jesus is going to talk to the 12. And he's saying, look, already you're clean. What he's saying there is that the message which I've spoken to you, the truth which I've brought to you has already cleaned you because you're already connected to me. You've, you've received what it is I've had to say and it's already cleaned you. Now, there's a, there's a key word that shows up there that it's important for us to understand. He says, already, right? Already you're clean, meaning because you're already connected to me, you're already being cleansed. You don't, you don't have to clean yourself up in order to get attached to the vine, but I have cleaned you so you are attached to the vine. And so because Jesus' word and his truth of the gospel has already worked in their life and they've already trusted it, he's saying, you're already, you've already begun to be cleaned by me. And so in this, that already word is a very, it is a key word or a key concept that Jesus is trying to make sure they understand. It's meant to be an encouragement for them. Like, you know, he's talking about some that may be cut off, but he's saying, look, you're already clean because you're attached to me. And because you're attached to me, your job is just to remain. Your, your job is to stay. Your job is to stay connected to me. So verse four, that's why he says, abide in me and I in you. The disciples, when he talks about this, this phrase or this word, he says to remain or to abide, he's meaning to stay connected. Stay connected to Jesus or to the vine. This word is used 11 times. And in these short verses in, in John 15, the word for abide or remain is used 11 times. In the rest of, of John, of the gospel of John, it's used 40 more times. And then in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, which is written by the same guy, it's used another 27 times. Do you get the idea that this is important to him? Like maybe he thinks this concept is sort of is sort of key for us to understand. He's repeating it over and over, and he wants us to understand this idea of remaining and abiding in Christ. Why? Because it's the only way that we can truly experience the life of Christ in us. The only way that we experience the life of Christ is if we can remain in him and abide in him. That means that we've got this alive and active faith that ebbs and flows daily as we stay connected to him and seeks nourishment and draws life from him day after day, moment after moment, because we're dependent upon him for our sustenance. He says no branch has life unto itself. In fact, it's utterly dependent for, on, uh, for its life on the vine. If you think about a, an offshoot of a little branch coming off of a vine, where would that branch receive any kind of nourishment if it's disconnected from the vine? Well, there's nothing. It's not going to produce anything because there's no sustenance, no life for it to be connected. And that's why Jesus says in verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, it's him that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you get disconnected from me, 
There's no life that can flow through, through me to you and produce something good in you. Fruitfulness, friends, is it's the, it's the sign that the Son, that we're connected to the Son of God and that His life is being infused into our lives. That's, what, that's where the fruit comes from. But we're totally dependent upon Him. One doesn't exist for the other. In fact, the vine exists for the purpose of nourishing the branches, right? That's the entire reason why the vine exists is to nourish the branches. The entire reason why the branches exist is to receive nourishment from the vines and to produce fruit, to do, to do good. That's why Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing, right? There's, there's nothing we can do. It means if you're not on the vine, you can't rene- receive the nourishment you need for life. If you're not on the vine, it means you're not gonna be connected to the, to the rest of the vineyard. If you're not on the vine, it means you can't draw nourishment from Jesus and you're gonna be unable to bear fruit. If you're not on the vine, it means you're not gonna experience the pruning of the Father that trims you back so that you can produce more fruit. And it means that, and if you're not on the vine, it means you're gonna actually impede the growth of others because you're gonna be dead wood that keeps nourishment from flowing in a healthy direction. We've got to be attached to the vine. And that's why Jesus says, I am the true vine, abide in me, stay connected to me, remain in me, never depart from me, attach yourself to me and never let go. Walk with me, he's saying. See, fruit bearing is, uh, is certain if we stay on the vine. Like if we, if we stay attached to Jesus, we will bear fruit. There's no other option. It's what, that's what happens. It naturally produces something good in us. And so we can, we can count on that. We can trust it. Now, these verses actually play an important part in church history. And, um, if you go back to, like, to the fourth century, um, Augustine actually talked about these verses in, in a debate with a guy named Pelagius. And Pelagius had this idea that we were good by nature and that we didn't need God's help in order to do good works. And Augustine came in and said, well, that's bunk. And so he, he, said, he kind of debunked that idea by pointing to these verses. Well, no, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Meaning, if you're disconnected from Jesus, if you're not, if you're not receiving life from Jesus, you're never going to produce good fruit. And so in these debates, these things actually showed up in the councils of the early churches. And part of these debates, pointing back to these verses, saying, no, we cannot produce spiritual good in and of ourselves, but it's only in our connection to Jesus that something good flows out of us. That's why Jesus says, without me or apart from me, you can do nothing. Part of what that means, friends, is apart from me, Jesus is saying, you cannot serve your spouse as you should. Apart from me, you're not going to manage your anger towards your kids as you should. Apart from me, you're not going to bear the responsibility of life with joyfulness as you should. Part of what it means is apart from me, you're, you're not going to stop looking at websites you shouldn't look at. Apart from me, you're not going to witness to you the friends that you want to share with. Apart from me, you're not going to serve as a minister and as a servant in our world as you ought to. Apart from me, you won't trust the plans of God when you have anxiety and worry. We have to be attached to the vine. We have to draw life from the vine. We need something less fickle than our emotions and more stable than our circumstances that we can draw life from in the midst of all the ups and downs. So these verses really speak to our total dependence upon, upon Christ. Think about that word abide as dependence upon him. Now, we tend to think of dependence, and when you hear that word dependence, what are the things that come to mind? Do you have images that pop in your head or, or thoughts or ideas? We tend to think of it negatively. And so uh, sometimes you may, you may think of dependence um, when we fill out tax forms, if you take finances. Uh, when you fill out tax forms, we all, if you've got any children, you write them down as, as dependents, right? 
Because what that means is that you make their life happen, that they are dependent upon you for all the financial things they want to do. And so they are dependent upon you. And so we say that in the forms of taxes. We know more about uh, the dependence for breathing and, and ventilators than we ever wanted to know right now, don't we? Because the COVID, the COVID shortage of ventilators and the need of people that when they're having lung issues, they're dependent upon outside help in order to sustain their breath. And so we understand what that means. But oftentimes I think we, we think of that as a negative term. But let me ask you this. If Jesus came to us and died for us and was willing to give his life for us in order to give us, to, to give us life, do you think he's going to really give us short shift when it comes to providing the things we need? Like as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a father who cares for you, as, as your heavenly father, do you think if you're trying to draw on the oxygen of a ventilator, he's going to go, hey, easy there, don't take too deep a breath. No, he's going to say, you know, inhale to your full extent. Take everything you need. Take all the breath you need, and I'm here to provide that for you because he wants to give you good things. Now, the point here is not the lack of provision. It's the abundance of it. And maybe we need to think about this a little differently, but John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I, I come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Uh, Jesus didn't come so and saying, hey, I hope I came that you might just skirt by and that you might kind of, kind of suffer through and, and manage to squeak by in life. And he said, I came that you might have life, that you'd have it to the full. So think about this dependence thing, maybe more like a trust fund that's unlimited. And every time you have a need, you just go draw on it. And it meets all your needs and you don't ever have a lack. There, there's never a shortage of provision for what it is that you, that you need. I think that's why Jesus uses this image of a vineyard. Think about a master vine dresser. Is he gonna shortchange anything that's going to produce good fruit? No, the entire reason why there's a vineyard is to produce fruit. He's not going to hold back anything that's going to nourish the, the vine and nourish the fruitfulness. And the vine isn't going to withhold. It's going to pass on. That's why Jesus says, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Now, you know what? Here's what I know about us. The problem in this parable is not, or in this illustration, is not the vine dresser. And the problem's not the vine, right? The problem's what? The branches who don't, sometimes abide in the vine. And what the reality is, is that we've got this incredible resource available to us, but we don't often draw on it. That oftentimes we overlook it. Oftentimes we neglect the resource that we have. Uh, several years ago, I went hiking with some buddies of mine and we were going up in the mountains and we knew that it was gonna be a long hike and it was a hot day and we were kind of worried about it. And so, uh, you know how it is when you got a group of guys, you've got some guys that are like, they're never going to follow any rules. And other guys are like, we need to set really good rules. And so we had kind of worked through this process and said, okay, what time are we turning back? If we run out of water, we're turning back. We're not going to be idiots because on the top of this fall, there's a 1,500 foot drop and people die there every year. And so we're not going to be one of those guys. We've all got, you know, responsibilities in life. So in order not to do that, let's set certain parameters and rules for how we're going to operate. And we did this and we got up to the top and we started running out of water and we got to a certain time. We're like, man, we're out of we're out of time, but there's always that one guy in there. That one guy that's just an adrenaline junkie. And we had one of those guys too. And he's like, I got to go to the summit. And so as we stop and he just keeps going and we're like, oh man. So half the group goes back down. A couple of us thought, man, I just feel stuck. I don't really feel like I should go because this is really stupid, but I also don't feel like I should abandon my buddy. And so we just sat down and we're like, well, we'll right right here and hope you make it back. You know, and if you're not back by a certain time, I guess we'll just go home and call someone. But so we sat down and we just baked. We're above the tree line. We're baking in the sun. We're out of water. We're dying for this thing. Two hours later, this guy finally comes back down and he's made it 
but he's dying. He has no water. So then we've got to go all the way down the mountain, no water. We get to the bottom and we're just kind of, to be honest, we're all just mad at this guy. We're all just kind of angry and everything's kind of going a little crazy. And as we get there, we start to unpack um, our, our backpacks and we get to the bottom. And I looked at the bottom of my backpack and I had a bottle of full water, fresh, clean, refreshing, pure water sitting there in my backpack that had been with me the entire trip. And I put it in, I was smart enough to put in an extra bottle of water in case I needed it, but I was too dumb to draw on it, the resource that I had at my, at my disposal. Friends, spiritually, we do the same thing. Spiritually, all the time, we have this resource that's there, that's available to us, and we don't go to Jesus. We don't draw on the resource that's there. We don't lean on him and, and incorporate all the things that he wants to give us into our lives. And in our day, I think we've really forgotten how to do this. I think we've, we've learned so much to live vicariously through someone else's faith. We live vicariously through a podcast, through a sermon, through a preacher, through a program, through a big event. Um, we, we live vicariously through screens, but we, we've forgotten how to foster this intimacy with God that can actually sustain and nourish us and renew us from the inside out. This thing that can produce life in us, regardless of our circumstances and our emotions, but produce something good in us, we've, we've forgotten how to just draw on the vine and to abide and to remain in him. And so I want us over the next few weeks to talk about daily dependence upon Jesus. What does it look like for me to realize and live with the idea, live with the perspective that says, I'm connected to a vine that will nourish me and produce life and fruitfulness and joy in me on a day-by-day basis. Friends, do you have a sense that you're abiding in Christ and that his life is being formed in you and flowing it through you? Do you have a sense that the Father is pruning and shaping your life, cutting some things here and there so that he can produce more good in you? Do you have a sense that Jesus stuff is happening in your character so that you're beginning to look more and more like him? Do you have a sense that your relationships are, are, are infused with Christ-like love in the way in which you're reacting with one another? If, if not, and the answer is not to just work harder. The answer is to abide in the vine, to trust Jesus, to draw from his life, and to learn to walk with him in the midst of the ins and outs of life. So over the next few weeks, we want to talk about some practices for how it is you can, you can, you can cultivate kind of this abiding, remaining, staying connected to Jesus in terms of your own life. And we want to walk through that. But, if, but you've got to first accept the promise of his invitation. And do you believe that being, you're being dependent upon him will produce something good in you? That it'll produce fruitfulness? Do you believe that it'll produce joy in you? Because if you don't, we, we can't really get to the practices. We've got to start here. Do you, do you trust that, that, to, that to be true in your own life? And for some of you, you're, you're kind of new to the faith, or maybe you're just exploring the faith. And let me just say this. Um, oftentimes, we, we call people to come to Jesus in churches, but we oftentimes don't stop and show them what it is to walk with Jesus. And so we're good at telling you you need Jesus, but we're not great at connecting you to him and showing you how to draw life from him. And so we want to do that. We want to do, and some of you, it, it may not be that you've got this kind of hard heart and you don't want to do it. There may be something in you going, yes, I want that, but no one's ever shown you how it is you grow. No one's ever shown you how it is that you, that you walk with Jesus. Well, we want to come alongside you and do that. And I think for many of us, um, the, the reason why our joy seems so short-lived and why it's so briefly ours is because we've, we've just never been taught how to remain in Christ, and we've never, gone, we've never learned to practice kind of what it is to, to do that on a day-in and day-out basis. And so and we want, we want to encourage you in that. Others of you have a different problem. 
Others of you have been around this for a long time and you've got a lot of knowledge and you know all the answers and you just think you've outgrown your dependence upon Christ. You think that you've, you've kind of progressed to a point that you're not totally dependent upon him for your nourishment and your sustenance in your life. And, and so you, you used to seek Jesus daily, but you don't anymore because you just think, well, surely I'm kind of matured past that now. But we don't ever mature past that. Apart, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Do you remember what it's like when you're foolish enough to believe that the Bible actually meant what it said? Like when you read it and you go, oh, that says I'm dependent upon, I need to abide in Christ, then I should abide in Christ. And you didn't try to explain it away. Some of us need to come back to some old patterns of just resting in the vine and trusting Christ and his goodness for us. But my hope for each of us over the next few weeks is that day by day, we walk with Jesus. Day by day, we draw on his strength. Day by day, we experience joy from him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are the true vine. You loved us enough to come and mediate for us true life, forever life, joyful life, fruitful life, abundant life. And Jesus, would you help us to trust you? Father, even as you prune us, that we might receive more life from Christ and bear more fruit to your glory and to your to Christ's glory. Would you help us to receive even the pruning, even the, the shaping of our lives in the hard times? Would you help us to receive that as a, as a good gift out of your love for us? Uh, Father, give us great joy um, through your Son and by your Holy Spirit. Amen.